up at Ezekiel this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 13. If you don't have your Bible with you, I encourage you to take uh, one of these blue Bibles and you can turn to page 829. 829. This is a section entitled in the NIV, False Prophets Condemned. Ezekiel chapter 13. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations a lie. They say the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they expect their words to be fulfilled. Have you not seen false visions? And uttered lying divinations when you say, the Lord declares, though I have not spoken. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. Because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash what is that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents and I will send hailstones hurtling down and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. In my wrath, I will unleash a violent wind. And in my anger, hailstones and torrents of rain will fall with destructive fury. I will tear down the wall you have covered with whitewash and will level it to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you will be destroyed in it and you will know that I am the Lord. So I will spend my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. I will say to you, the wall is gone and so are those who whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Sovereign Lord. Now, Son of Man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the women who sew magic charms on all their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people, but preserve your own? You have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. By lying to my people who listen to lies, you have killed those who should not have died And have spared those who should not live. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against your magic charms with which you ensnare people like birds. And I will tear them from your arms. I will set free the people that you ensnare like birds. 
I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands and they will no longer fall prey to your power. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief. And because you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and so save their lives. Therefore, you will no longer see false visions. Who speaks for God? It's a tough question, you know. You have to ask it as you browse through the local bookstore or public library. You examine the myriad titles that claim some religious authority of some sort. Which ones are you going to believe? You flip through the channels on TV, the radio, you browse the Internet, you pick up preachers of every variety purporting to tell you what God says about what you should believe, how you should live. Who are you going to listen to? Or think of all the groups that uh, seek to bring some divine perspective into the political arena. There's the Christian Coalition, the National Jewish Coalition, the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, the Catholics for Free Choice. There's the Christian Action Council, the American Muslim Council, the Christian Voice, the Church of Scientology International, the First Church of Christ Scientists, just to name a few of the over 100 different religious organizations registered as lobbying groups on Capitol Hill. You see, they're all seeking to be a prophetic voice, the voice of God in the public square. But the question is, who speaks for God? Who can be trusted to speak the truth? I mean, even if there is a God, I mean, even if this God can speak, how would you recognize his voice? How can you know what he says? It's not an easy question. For the religious voices in our culture claiming to speak for God produce a cacophony of discordant notes. And the result is what you might expect. For, for many, such diversity produces nothing but skepticism. In our pluralistic society, there are so many saying so many different things. How can we possibly distinguish between what is true and what is false? And so many people give up ever coming to a conclusion about what God says about anything. And when the true voice of God is silent in a society or simply not heard, then every man does what is right in his own eyes, to quote a biblical phrase, and moral corruption eventually creeps in. Without justice, a nation suffers, writes one commentator. Without truth, it sickens. And so it has. But you know, this is not just a modern problem brought on by the institution of the secular state and the increasing pluralism of our culture. No, this has always been a problem. Jesus told us as much. He said, watch out for false prophets. There will always be people who claim to speak for God, but who don't. So what are we to do? How do we determine who to listen to, who to believe when it comes to what we think about God? Now, this sort of uh, epistemological confusion, this uncertainty about what to believe, was very evident in Israel in the time of the prophet Ezekiel. You see, Ezekiel, he claimed to have this overwhelming experience of the glory of God with a fantastic vision of, of God enthroned above this angelic chariot with wheels within wheels. He claimed that this great and magnificent God had spoken to him and revealed a, a terrible message of impending judgment upon God's people. But there were many in Israel's day 
in Ezekiel's day, in Israel, who, who didn't want to hear what Ezekiel had to say. In fact, they were claiming that God had given them a very different message. A vivid example of this kind of conflict is found in the story of Ezekiel's contemporary, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet who'd been given a similar message, a divine message that met with a similar human opposition. In Jeremiah chapter 28, we read that Jeremiah had proclaimed as the word of God a message of judgment upon the nation, just as Ezekiel had. The Babylonians would destroy Jerusalem and take the the people of Judah into exile for a period of 70 years. A whole lifetime of people would come and go in that exile period. And at this point in the story of Jeremiah, the Babylonians had already attacked once in 597 B.C., though they did not destroy the city. They plundered the temple. They had taken away a large segment of the population, including Ezekiel and their king, Jehoiakim, replacing him with Zedekiah. And in chapter 27, as a symbolic prophetic act, the Lord had told Jeremiah to make a, a yoke out of straps and a crossbar to put it on his neck. And this portrayal was a a demonstration of the the, the servitude to King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which the Lord had decreed and which the people must accept. More suffering and destruction was still to come. But then comes along another prophet, a prophet named Hananiah. Hananiah says in Jeremiah 28 2, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon within two years. I will bring my people back to this place. All the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here will come back. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon. This is what the Lord declares. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And in a symbolic act of his own, Hananiah took his yoke off the neck of uh, the, the yoke off the neck of Jeremiah, and he broke it in two. So, which is it to be? A long seventy-year exile followed by the following the destruction of the city, or a mere two-year sojourn in a foreign land, ending in a return of the former king and all his cohorts? Which is it? Who speaks for God? Is it Jeremiah or is it Hananiah? Now, this is no idle question. Certainly, King Zedekiah had to decide, for the answer to that question held the key to his entire foreign policy. Who speaks for God? How is the king supposed to know? How are we supposed to know? And that's the question we want to consider this morning. As we look at Ezekiel's words, condemning the false prophets in Israel. And from this passage, I want us to look especially at some of the characteristics of these religious charlatans who falsely claim to speak for God. It's an important topic for you can be sure there are many false prophets at work in our world today. So let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse one, we read the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. And first, I think we can say that one of the common characteristics of these false prophets is that they will not appear to be false. They don't wear a badge that says, I am a false prophet. It's not that easy. They will have the appearance of legitimacy in our passage. They're called the prophets of Israel. 
In other words, they have they held a recognizable religious office. These men would have been part of a professional prophetic guild in Israel. They had graduated from the school of the prophets. They served in the royal court as official religious advisors. In fact, their credentials were no doubt better than those of Ezekiel. Ezekiel had just been trained as a priest. These prophets of Israel may have had graduate degrees in prophecy. They may have had years of professional experience. They may have spoken words of prophecy in the highest circles of society. They had all the marks of social religious legitimacy. And the Lord says they're doing what prophets of Israel do. They were prophesying. That is, they were declaring that they spoke the word of God. Verse 6 tells us they say the Lord declares. And perhaps even claiming to have seen visions of the Lord, just as Ezekiel did. And so obviously, if these are false prophets, mere appearances is not enough. Jesus tells us that false prophets will come as wolves in sheep's clothing. In other words, you won't be able to tell whether what they say is true just by the way they looked. The devil himself appears as an angel of light. And so false prophets can come from the most respected evangelical seminaries. They can preach at very sound evangelical churches. They can point to the Bible and say, thus says the Lord. And still, they may not be teaching what is true. You cannot tell if some word comes from God simply by the claim that it does. And and this may seem so obvious and simple that it hardly needs to be said, but it's amazing how gullible people can be. Someone stands up in a Christian gathering and says, the Lord told me such and such, or this is what the Lord says. There can be this hushed silence. And people can uncritically accept every word. But that's wrong. Beware of such claims. And there's something else about these false prophets. What they say may be very popular. In fact, preaching what is popular seems to have been one of their chief characteristics. Their main message was one of peace, verse 10. They claim to have had visions of peace, verse 16. Peace, who wouldn't like to hear that? Everybody likes to hear good news. Everybody likes to be assured that they're okay, that God loves them. We all want to be confirmed in our own convictions. And that's what these prophets did. Their message was one of peace. All is well in our relationship with God. He's on our side. Sure, our lives can be full of idolatry. It can be full of violence. Not to worry. God will still protect us. No wonder their message was popular. So don't be swayed by the fact that some teacher has a wide following, draws great crowds, has a big church, sells lots of books. He may be an excellent communicator, a real Christian celebrity. That's no sign that what they say is true. More than that, you see, Jesus says that false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles. They may look like spiritual giants. They may be able to call down spiritual power and do amazing feats of faith. But beware, Jesus says, miraculous signs and wonders do not ensure the truth of what they say. Even though many may be led astray by them. We must be alert and beware because false prophets will appear to be legitimate and they may be very popular. So what are we to do? How can we discern if what they say is true? Well, here's where the difference between true and false prophets begins to emerge. For one thing, you have to look at their character. 
Look at how Ezekiel describes his opponents in our passage. Verse 3, he calls them foolish. Woe to the foolish prophets, he says. And the word here, foolish, nabal, it doesn't simply refer to some deficient mental capability. No, it has a clear moral connotation. They were culpably foolish, rebelliously foolish, willfully turning away from God's wisdom and instead relying on the wisdom of the world. They claim to have heard from God. They claim to have seen divine visions, but they haven't. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. The Bible tells us that the fool says in his heart there is no God. There is no fear of God in the eyes of a fool. A fool refuses to humble himself before the Lord. And these are foolish prophets. Their character is suspect. And when you come to the New Testament, this becomes a very important factor in making spiritual judgments. Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In other words, what do their lives look like? What does their message produce? Are they expressing and encouraging the character of Christ? Or are they self-seeking and arrogant, bringing glory to themselves instead of to God? And it's interesting the way in which Paul commends his own message partly through the testimony of his own character. I think of his words to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. He says in, in, in chapter 2, verse 3, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We're not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only God's gospel, but our very lives as well because you were so dear to us. Or to Timothy, Paul writes, you know all about my teaching and my way of life. Do you see how those two hold together? He says to Timothy, continue of what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You know the quality of their lives, the fruit that flows from their teaching. And I think this is one of the reasons that face-to-face teaching in the context of the local church is so important as opposed to just books or conferences or even preaching by video, which is becoming very popular these days. You see, church-centered teaching by church leaders you know is important because you can actually know about the life and character of the one who teaches you. As Jesus says, you can know them by their fruit. And this is important. I remember when I went to uh, England, to Oxford University, to study the Bible. It was the first time I'd studied the Bible in this secular, academic context. And it was not an environment where the the Bible was seen as the Word of God. In fact, it seemed that, that everyone wanted to tear it apart and prove that it wasn't. And I had to look around. Why do I believe this? Why do I think this Word is, is from God? And I looked at the, the churches, and, and there were some churches that, that t- taught the Bible as the Word of God, and there were some churches that didn't. 
And they looked at the fruit. What was the fruit in those churches? And it was in the churches where the Bible was taught that I began to see there was life, there was vibrancy, there was transformation. God was known. He was loved. He was worshipped in a dynamic way. You see, there's a fruit that comes in the teaching of God's Word and in those who teach it rightly. It ought to be seen. Character is important. And related to that is a fourth characteristic. As you make judgments about who speaks God's truth, realize that it's often true among false prophets, their motivation is self-service. They don't operate out of a sense of divine calling. They're driven by their own benefits. And look at the way the the Lord through Ezekiel describes them in verse 4. Your prophets, O Israel, are like jackals among ruins. You see, jackals were considered uh, disgusting scavengers. They, they looked for scraps of food wherever they could find them. And these prophets roamed among the ruins of God's people in the various crises of their lives, not concerned with repairing things, but simply looking to feed themselves. Verse 5, you have not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. You know, the breaks in the defensive wall were the places where the the city was most vulnerable to attack. That's where the enemy would focus its forces. And these false prophets had no interest in risking their lives to go where the fighting would be fiercest, to rebuild what was broken. No, they were out for themselves. Their own peace and comfort was their concern. And later in verse 19, in words addressed to the false prophetesses, the Lord says, you have profaned me among my people for a few handfuls of barley and scraps of bread. That was their pay. They were motivated not by divine compulsion, but by the pursuit of personal profits. Beware of those that think that godliness is a means to financial gain, Paul warns. And so we can say when trying to discern whether a person is speaking God's truth, it's not a bad idea to follow the money. See where it leads. Then look at the way that some of them, at least, delivered their message from God. Here Ezekiel addresses especially the false prophetesses in verses 17 to 21. He says in verse 17, Now, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Prophesy against them and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Woe to the women who sew magic charms on all their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Now, we don't know exactly what's going on here, but it has every appearance of divination, using occult practices and magic to try to discern and even manipulate the will of God. And by these methods, which probably came from the Babylonians and were clearly prohibited in the law of God, by these methods, they were exercising control over people, hunting them like birds, luring them into this spiritual death trap. But the Lord will have none of it. Verse 20, I am against your magic charms with which you ensnare people like birds. I will tear them from your arms. I will set the people... Free that you ensnare like birds. I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands and they will no longer fall prey to your power. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now we in our enlightened Western world may think that all these sorts of things have disappeared, but they haven't. I mean, horoscopes appear in the newspaper every day. And in one survey, uh, 
of baby boomers, 26% said they believed in astrology. And, you know, psychics must be getting business. I see their little parlors all over the place. There are all sorts of people who can claim that they can tell your fortune by all sorts of means. And what about all the other ways that people try to manipulate God as if by magic? They say certain prayers in certain ways. Reciting Hail Marys, attending church, even giving money away as a, as a way of forcing God to act in our favor. But the methods of these false prophets, they're all misguided. They will take you everywhere looking for a word from God except in the one place where it's to be found. In the Scriptures. And the final characteristic of these charlatans, which is really embracing of it all, is this. The content of their message is deceptive. You see, Ezekiel's critique of the the false prophets is really all about the source of their message. They claim to have heard from God when they haven't. They prophesy out of their own imagination. They follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Verse 6, their visions are false and their divinations a lie. They say the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them. And the Lord is not pleased with these people. Verse 8, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because of your false words and lying visions, I am against you, declares the sovereign Lord. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know. That I am the sovereign Lord. And why such anger? Verse 10. Because they lead my people astray. Saying peace. When there is no peace. 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 That's their message. All is well. And they say that, you see, because false prophets very often downplay the holiness of God. You see, because they speak words from their own imaginations, because they look into the Scriptures, and what do they see? Just reflections of themselves. They fail to recognize that God is not like us. Our God is holy. He is pure. He is righteous. And false teachers often diminish the difference between us and God, such that God in His ways become more comfortable to us, they become more acceptable to us, become more in keeping with our sensibilities. They tend to match the spirit of our age. They think that God must judge as we judge. They think that God must love as we love. And so they say, all is peace. And the result, they, these false teachers tend to minimize the moral dimensions of God's will for us. You see it here in verse 22. You disheartened the righteous with your lies when I had brought them no grief. And you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and so save their lives. They call evil good and good evil. They afflict the righteous and they comfort the wicked. They encourage the wicked not to turn from their evil ways. You see, this is why God is angered by false teaching about His character and His claim upon our lives. He is angry because such false teaching leads people astray. It deceives them into thinking that all is well when all is not well. Saying peace when there is no peace. 
You see, they offer people a false assurance. No need to turn from your sin. No need to repent. Oh, no, God loves everybody. Everybody's going to heaven. It doesn't really matter. You see how dangerous that is? The Lord likens their teaching to a whitewashed wall. It's fragile. It's flimsy. It won't stand up. But what do they do? Instead of rebuilding it with sturdy materials like brick and mortar so that it will stand, they just cover it up. I think about these walls. On the side of us here. What if, what if they started to crumble? What if they started to warp? What if you started to see cracks in the walls? What should we do? Well, let's just put up some drywall. Drywall mud. How about some caulk? That'll do it. Just paint it over a couple of layers. Nobody will ever know. But one day, one day, the pressures of the roof come crashing down. And it will it will look at what the Lord says in verse 11. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents. I will send hailstones hurtling down. Violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Does this remind us of imagery of our Lord Jesus? You know, Jesus spoke like no one. Before him, you know, the prophets like Ezekiel, what do they say? Thus says the Lord. What does Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you. The prophets declared that the word of God will last forever. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The prophets urged their listeners to obey the word of God. What does Jesus say? He says, everyone who hears these words of mine. And puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man that built his house on sand. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Who speaks for God? Jesus does. Jesus does. What do we read in Hebrews? In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You know, in his own day, people wondered whether Jesus was really qualified to speak for God. What does Jesus say? He says, I'm telling you what I have seen in the father's presence. I came from God and I'm now here. I've not come on my own. He sent me. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And John in his Gospel writes, No one has ever seen God. But Jesus Christ, who is God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Who speaks for God? Supremely, it is the Son. The Word become flesh. Jesus Christ, the prophet who is more than a prophet. And you see, that's why I look to this book for a word from God. For in His own teaching, Jesus affirmed this book. That is the Old Testament as God's Word. 
And then in his ministry, Jesus commissioned this book, that is the New Testament, by sending out apostles, men sent from him by his authority to speak for him as God's word in this book. Jesus is God's incarnate word to us, and Jesus commends the Bible as God's written word to us. This is where God speaks to us. It is not my job as a pastor to speak out of my own imagination, following my own spirit, and say God says when God hasn't said. No, it's my job to expound what God has said here in this book. And I can't just pick out bits and pieces that I like. I need to preach the whole thing. God's Word in its fullness. The whole counsel of God. And I must preach this book faithfully. Which means I must preach it Christologically. That is, with Jesus Christ as its center. For it all points to Him. I must preach it communally. That is, with the help of and in communion with other believers, both present and past, who have also sought to understand its message rightly. And I must preach it spiritually, that is, in the power of the Holy Spirit who inspired its writers and who now illuminates us, its readers. And it's here, you see, that we will find a foundation rock for our lives as we hear the Word of God, as we put it into practice. And what is built on this rock will stand when the time of trial comes, when the rain comes down and the earth shakes and the tsunami waves beat against us. If our house is built on this rock, our house will stand. So as we close this morning, what do we need to hear from this Word of God through the prophet Ezekiel? Well, first, quite simply, don't be duped. We've been warned. We've been warned by Jesus. Watch out for false prophets. We've been warned by Paul speaking to the Ephesians. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. We've been warned by Peter. Second Peter, chapter two, there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. And we've been warned by John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everyone who claims to speak for God. One well-known evangelical pastor has received lots of attention in recent weeks because of a new book he's written. Let me just say, don't believe everything you read. Test the spirits. Check it out. Be like the Bereans in the book of Acts who examined everything they heard from Paul to see if it conformed to the Scriptures. Don't be duped. And second, I would say, don't be, don't be divided. And, and by that I mean, if you want to discern what comes from God, it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. And so you have to guard your own heart. Don't let it be divided in its loyalty and its affections. For you see, false prophets only tell people what they want to hear. And this phenomenon certainly wasn't restricted to ancient Israel. Paul predicted it in the future of the church. He says in 2 Timothy 4, For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires... 
they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll want to hear a Christian gospel without a call to repentance. They'll want to hear a Christian ethic without a call to righteousness. They'll want a, a, a Christian life without a call to sacrificial living. It won't be the message of Jesus that they want, not the Jesus who said you must take up your cross and follow him. Now, an interesting episode occurs in the very next chapter in Ezekiel, in chapter 14. Some of the elders come to the prophet seeking a word from God. But the Lord refuses to give it to them because their hearts weren't right. Chapter 14, verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any Israelite sets up an idol in his heart and puts a a wicked stumbling block before his face and then goes to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him myself in keeping with his great idolatry. Verse eight, I will set my face against that man and make him an example and a byword. I will cut him off from my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You see, if your heart is hardened toward God, if it is full of idols, those things you love, those things you cling to that draw you away from God, then don't expect to hear any word from God. He'll give you false prophets instead. You see, false prophets only tell people what they want to hear. So what do you want to hear? Comforting words, confirming you in your sin, or words of truth. Don't be divided. And finally, our passage this morning urges us not to domesticate God's word. You see, the danger here is that we simply uh, point our finger to those out there. There are many false prophets out there in our broader culture. It's easy to, to spot them. But you see, we may fail to let this passage speak to us. And we can be blind to the subtle forms of False prophecy in our own midst. You see, what characterized the false prophets of Ezekiel's day was not just that they preached lies, but that they preached what the people wanted to hear. They preached comfortable words that didn't challenge anybody. Proclaiming peace, peace, when there was no peace. Their preaching, their prophecy had no punch. The word of God had become domesticated. God had become their, their pet. Useful for their own purposes. They turned the powerful word of God into into a whisper. The roar of a lion had become the gentle purring of a kitten. Shouldn't there be something challenging? Even threatening and disturbing about the word of God to us? Shouldn't it confront our lives and our fallen world with a clear contrast calling us to, to the way things ought to be? And not just confirming us in the way things are. You see, in that sense, we can't be conservative when it comes to our reading of the Bible. Simply reading it to preserve the status quo without any change. You see, change is exactly what God wants to see in us. He wants to change us radically. As He calls us to increasing conformity to the image of Christ. I'm not sure that's what the world wants to hear. 
I'm not sure that's what the Word wants to see in us. But that's what the Word of God is all about. It's about God speaking to us. Convicting us. As we are confronted with the, dare I say it, the awful truth of God's holiness. And then, only then, comforting us as we come to see the wonder of His grace. It's a word of grace through truth. God has spoken. Are you listening? Let's pray. Lord, may we humble ourselves as we come before You, as we're confronted by Your Word. May it come to us in all its power. May it come like a hammer. Lord, may it shatter our false assumptions about ourselves, about the world we live in, false assumptions about You. May it confront us with the truth. The truth that you are a 